Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Like Pastor Amy said, we're, this, is our, this is the last installment of our series on worship. And I want to be the first to admit that our talks so far have really been more philosophical maybe than practical as far as the messages go, um, establishing maybe a new ideology in some aspects of your walk with Jesus. Um, but the hope we have in, in talking about worship the way we have been is not, is not to practically recategorize your spiritual walk or, or really uh, bring a really uh, regimented change to your life. Rather, um, it's also, it really is that we have been attempting to add here and there some biblical truth that overall will bring a course correction in your relationship with God. It'll, it, it will bring you, and, and we need to think, I think, um, in this day and age about words like course correction, I think that we have a tendency sometimes as human beings uh, to hear criticism the wrong way. And criticism can be a great thing, and course adjustment is certainly a great thing, especially if you want to stay on course. Anybody want to stay on course? For those of you, those of you who like being lost, um, it's true that not all who wander are lost, but if you're still old and you're still wandering, everyone will assume you're lost. So you might want to figure out the direction you need to go, all right? Somebody figure out the direction. And uh, to that end, we have built Generations Church um, according to what we felt God say to us, a vision. And we have, we have very specifically, now those of you who are real analytical, structured minds are going to laugh, but um, we did not bring a church together to be so structured. What we built a church for, what we planted a church with the intention of, was that it would be built on the presence of God and really nothing else. Because the presence of God is, is really, it's the trump card. It's, it's what there is at the end when everything else is gone in your life. If you have the presence of God, you'll still have something. Everything else will pass away. Everything else can move on. Everything else can change. But the presence of God and who he has revealed himself to us as can never change. He is the unchanging one. And um, we did not build a church to be dead. We did not build a church to have it structured and look lifeless. I've been to dead churches before. Ironically enough, it's always been for a funeral. I know, it's sad irony, but it's actually true. I've been to services where there's no life. I've been inside church walls with a group of people who are the church, and there is no life, and there is no hope, and there is no sense of God's presence, and it's tragic. We did not plant Generations Church with a prayer that said, and if you know me, you know this is hilariously true, Lord, help us to structure and legalize the relationships of people to you. Lord, give us rules, the most important rules, to make sure that people get it right and are changed whether they like it or not. That was not the prayer. That's the antithesis of the prayer uh, that we planted Generations Church with. Here's what the prayer sounded like when we planted Generations Church. This was me over many, many days, months, uh, weeks, years, just saying the same thing over. God, please God, dear Jesus, please show up today. God, please come. Holy Spirit, please show up for church. Holy Spirit, please come and change us. Holy Spirit, please be present. You see, our prayer is that of a presence-driven heart. And our church is a presence-driven church. Now, there's a lot of catchphrase out there with regards to presence-driven. 
And I want to just set all that beside for now. What I mean by presence-driven church is this. We honor and we love the presence of God. And if nothing else happened today, then you and I walked into and experienced the real presence of God. We have accomplished something and been a part of something that will have eternal merit in the lives of countless people. That's the power of the presence of God. We continue to pray, God, please come. We need you. We need your presence. You are all we want. The title of today's message is The Spirit and Liberty. And if you have your iPhone or your Bible or however you want to read the Bible together with me today, you can also look at the big screen behind us. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12 right now. This is what it says. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. I just hit pause for one moment. I remember as a kid in Sunday school, maybe even being taught that the reason Moses had to wear that veil was because his face was so shiny from the glory of God, nobody could stand to look at him. But what we read here in the book of 2 Corinthians is the reason Moses had to wear the veil is because the longer he was separated from the presence, everyone say separated from the presence. See, the longer Moses was separated from the face-to-face presence of God, the more the reflection of God's glory dimmed from his face. And so it's not to be a discouragement to his brothers and sisters. They had a veil over his face. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3, they could not look intently at what at the end of what was fading away. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. The veil is only lifted in Christ. Have you ever heard one of the Ten Commandments quoted, and it made you a little grouchy? I know none of you are honest enough to raise your hand and say that's you, which also is breaking a commandment, I suppose. I know that you know that I know that we have all experienced a moment or two in our lives where there is one of those Ten Commandments, and it really frustrates us. It, it hardens us, and it shows us that we are contrary to the heart of God. Now, this is important because we need to always keep in mind that the Old Testament, the law of sin and death, is a teacher. It instructs us as to what God's standard is, but it does little to help us achieve his standard. So this is why the Bible says of itself that the law is a teacher. Now, let's continue reading together. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit. Everyone say, now the Lord is spirit. That was only two-thirds of you. Come on. Now the Lord is spirit. Thank you. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Everyone say liberty. Do you automatically think of that commercial Liberty Mutual? I do, I do too. It's weird. It's the, power of, it's the power of advertising. 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Everyone say the Spirit. God is Spirit. Where else does it say that, I wonder, in the Bible? John 4, 24, I believe it is. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I want to just read to you really quick. I didn't have it up, but I want to read to you what it says with the NIV. NIV in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now we all who with unveiled faces contemplate. I want you to understand this morning that there is actually action on our part. There is something that must be done on our part to realize the presence of God. Not always, but on a day-to-day, weekly kind of basis. There has to be something in us that is looking for, desiring, wanting, realizing the presence of God, the glory of God. And it's when we contemplate that with, as it says, the unveiled face. When we contemplate with unveiled face the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into that image. Well, what is the image? Well, it's the image of His glory. Now, Back in verse 7, which we're going to read in a moment, there's an explanation for why this conversation is unfolding the way it is. But I want you to remember that there is a contemplation in the people of God regarding the Lord's glory that brings us into transformation. Thinking about the goodness of God will transform your opinion about what is going on in the world. Now, I know you don't believe me because no, nobody said amen to that. But I believe that you know that to be true. When we focus on the goodness of God, when we understand the goodness of God, that uh, exhibit A, He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. When I think about that reality, it changes how I see people, even those that I strongly dislike or disagree with. I mean, I don't dislike anyone. I only disagree with people, just like you. So what's going on in this, in this picture? We have this image. We have this thought that the apostle has been writing to the church at Corinth about. Corinthians 3, chapter 7 through 11 gives us the insight. So starting in verse 7, this is what it says. Now, if the ministry that brought death, dead church, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved on letters of stone, came with glory. So we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Moses went up to the mountain. God inscribed the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments. He comes back down. The people are living in absolute carnal sin. He breaks them. He has to go back up the mountain. That's a pretty sheepish walk, I think. Um, One time I wrecked my dad's truck as a teenager. I felt really sheepish about going back to the house and the walk from the driveway to the back door of the house might have been 100 miles long, that trip. It seemed like forever to get there because I had broken something that belonged to my father. And I wonder how Moses felt in the moments that he had to walk back up that mountain. 
to say, uh, God, something happened. I broke your laws to little pieces. If the ministry that brought death, which is engraved on letters of stone, came with glory, so much glory that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation, so the Old Testament law, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if that, if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Let me just break this down into very simple layman's terms for you. If the Old Testament law came with lights and thunder and the presence of God, and Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the Old Testament in the cross. And now makes abundant life in him available to us through the Holy Spirit. How much more glory is in the new life than was in the life that was only ruled by the law of sin and death? I mean, if Moses' face could shine, even after breaking Ten Commandment stones, even after seeing the people living in absolute filth and absolute idolatry, even through all of the adventures and the mishaps and the misguided disobedience that Israel walked through for 40 years in the desert, if even through all that his face could shine, how valuable is the glory of God? How valuable is the presence of God? And what Scripture says right here is that that glory has no comparison with the glory that rests on those who become Jesus' followers now. The glory of the Old Testament shook the earth. The glory of the Old Testament split rocks. The glory of the Old Testament was a pillar of fire in the night and a cloud in the day. The glory of the Old Testament, the presence of God coming to earth, shook the foundations of the temple and the gates. That is the realized presence of God. But, but the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the church at Corinth, takes all of that and sets it aside. And says that was pretty glorious, but it has nothing to do by comparison with the glory that now rests in the church, those who choose to follow Jesus. Man, that makes me ask a question of you, and it makes me ask a question of myself. So where is it? Where is it? Why don't we see it? Why don't we feel it more? Why don't we live it more? And that's the question I want to answer before we're done today. Why? Why, if the Spirit of the Lord can come with presence, with power, with glory, with splendor, why, if He can do all those things, are we so limited in what we see? The Spirit of the Lord, God who is Spirit, the Lord, the object, if He could be objectified of our praise and worship, the one who comes with his presence when we lift his name, the one who breaks fetters and chains from those in bondage, so much better the way, the truth, and the life. All of these things we know about Jesus, all of these things we talk about Jesus, we believe about Jesus. He's worthy of our worship because of who he is, and he's worthy of our praise, certainly because of what he's done for us. When he comes to us, and he always does come to us, as we worship Him, 
He brings freedom with him. Now last Sunday, we talked about Paul and Silas in chains. And as they were singing hymns and praying about midnight, what happened? What happened? Chains fell off. What else happened? Come on, somebody was here last Sunday. The doors of the prison immediately were opened. Their chains immediately fell off. The foundation of the prison was shaken. Because where the Spirit of the Lord visits, there will always be liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord comes to, He brings with Him freedom. So again, why? Why don't we see it? Why don't we live it? Why don't we feel it more? What, what is missing in us? What is missing in our approach? What is missing in our reality that we can't seem to experience life-changing, ground-altering experiences in the presence of God? Well, in a word, it's inhibition. 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 And this is not a, a proper definition of the word inhibition, but I'm going to share this with you this morning to help you understand something very simple. Inhibition is like locking yourself in jail and throwing away the key. It's tying you up. It's binding you. And the problem with inhibition in the scenario we're talking through this morning is that it prevents freedom. It prevents the opportunity for something very, very important. I want to share some of these words from one of my favorite Bible commentators, Matthew Henry. Um, probably the oldest set of commentaries I have. I got them from my grandfather, and they were old when I got them. Of course, they're older now. Um, but here's what he says about this passage. The condition of those who enjoy and believe the gospel is much more happy. Just for me and Ben, though. Just for a few of us, apparently. The condition of those who enjoy and believe the gospel is much more happy. Why? Because they have liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, and where He worketh as He does under the gospel dispensation, there is liberty. So Matthew Henry's saying, wherever the Spirit works, there's going to be liberty. Wherever the Spirit of God goes in the good news of the gospel, there will always be liberty accompanying him. Freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law and from the servitude of corruption. It is liberty for access to God and the freedom of speech in prayer. Boy, I could go off on that one right there. In a world where everyone can run their mouth with no, end, with, with no accountability whatsoever, full of digital courage on Facebook, we as believers either choose to partake and sink to someone else's level, or we simply abstain, but not once do we express our freedom of speech to God in prayer. Are you aware that you have freedom of speech because of Jesus when you talk to God? 
Oh, no, Pastor, we're just supposed to pray like the Lord's Prayer, right? No, 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 no. Go back and podcast with us. When you don't know what to pray, even the Holy Spirit wants to pray through you because you yourself don't actually know what to pray. Our relationship with God is a relationship of liberty that includes the freedom of speech to Him in His presence. And I would bet on any given Sunday morning as you're standing in His presence here at Generations Church, there are words in your heart that you will never utter out loud because of an inhibition. Because something is holding you back. You don't know if you should step out. You don't know if you want to trust to step out. I mean, some of us are afraid to raise our hands still. And it's okay. You're loved. You're accepted. You're wanted. You're appreciated. But oh, what a great thing it is to know the liberty, the freedom that the Spirit of the Lord brings in His presence. Matthew Henry goes on to say, freedom of speech and prayer. The heart is set at liberty and enlarged. Someone say enlarged. Don't be the Grinch. Don't be too many sizes too small. Because the spirit of liberty comes to enlarge the hearts of men. Someone say, enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart, God. Exercise your freedom of speech. The heart is set at liberty and enlarged to what? To run the ways of God's commandments. Some of us are so afraid. No, let me rephrase that. Some of you are so afraid to run the course God is setting before you. And I want you to know this morning it's because of an inhibition. Something is inhibiting you from taking that step forward starting on that course, moving in that direction. The Israelites uh, saw the glory of God in a cloud, which was dark and dreadful, but Christians see the glory of the Lord as in a glass, more clearly and comfortably. There's safety in who Jesus is. It was the peculiar privilege of Moses for God to converse with him face to face in a friendly manner, but now all true Christians, all true Christians can see him more clearly with open face. He showeth them his glory. This light and this liberty are transforming. In other words, this light, this glory of God, and the freedom, the liberty that he brings along with his presence is transformative in the life of everyone who will step out in faith. And we are changed into the same image of him from glory to glory. From one degree of glorious grace unto another until grace can be consummated in glory forever. In other words, if I can just dumb it right down for you, every step we go through in obedience to Jesus makes us just a little bit more like Jesus until we're finally perfected for eternity. Every little step is a step that has to be taken. Every act of obedience is an act of obedience that must be taken because it is conforming us into the image of the Son by the Holy Spirit. So how much, he ends with this, so how much, therefore, should Christians prize and improve these privileges? I love how a good Bible commentator leaves the reader with no excuse to remain stagnant. The last charge of his paragraph how much, therefore, should Christians prize and improve 
these privileges. You see, it's not just good enough for you and I to come to church and say, oh, the Spirit of the Lord is here. The Spirit of the Lord brings liberty. I like the presence of God. I like coming to church. I like feeling the life of Jesus as I gather with other peoples, but I'm not going to do anything to improve it. See, it doesn't fly. That pig ain't got no wings. Because pigs can't fly. How much, how much do you prize it? But more importantly, how much do you improve upon it? Has it ever occurred to you that on the average Sunday morning across the face of this earth as people gather to lift up and exalt the name of Jesus, that only a very small few are there to improve that experience? Now I say that in light of over a billion people who claim to follow Jesus in the earth. So it's, it's like, there's like a million of us who, whose minds are set that, that there, is, there is improvement, there is progress that's going to be made. There is ground that's going to be taken every single time we come together. Something is going to change. Something good is going to happen. God has good things in store for those who are chasing after him. God wants to reward the diligent seekers of his heart. All of the promises of Scripture begin to flow together into our lives, assuring us that if we would just taste and see how good God is, we would be convinced. So what is this inhibition that we wrestle with? We should not rest contented without an experimental knowledge of the transforming power of the gospel by the operation of the Spirit, bringing us into a conformity to the temper and tendency of the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should not rest contented without an experimental knowledge. The inhibition is your unwillingness to experiment. The thing holding you back from a different place in your experience with God is an unwillingness to experiment in his presence. And Matthew Henry charges the reader, we should not rest contented. You should not come to church and fold your hands and sit back and claim to be satisfied if there is no experimental knowledge of the transforming power of the gospel by the operation of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but conforming us to the temper and the tendency of the glorious gospel of Jesus. We should not rest content without the experimental Knowledge. You see, here's our problem. Everybody wants to come to church and have experiential knowledge. But can you get your head around this today? Everyone just make a circle around your head. Come on, do it with me. Get your head around this. Come on, kids. Circle your head. Like you got a great big Sharpie marker. Come on, Ava, you can do it. Come on. Circle your head. Circle your head. We all want to have the mental realm of experience in God's presence, but we're seldom willing to experiment. There is a huge difference between experimental knowledge and experiential knowledge. A huge difference. 
And it's probably a whole nother series that I could talk to you about the theology of experimental knowledge versus experiential knowledge and how there are biblical applications of that. But what do I want you to grab today? I want you to grab this. Psalm 34, 8 says so plainly, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You cannot have experiential knowledge of God's presence until you've done some experimentation in God's presence. For it to be personal and for it to be real, there has to be some experimental action on your part. And I would love to tell you that faith is so blind and faith is so simple that all you have to do is just try to believe. But even in that, the point is made more. Because even in trying to believe, you are experimenting in your mind with what God is going to do based on your response. And this is something that I think the faith culture of the church has gotten wrong over many generations. You see, we are inhibited because we are afraid to step out and experiment with something as simple as raising our hands. Now, I want to tell you, not every experiment is going to have the result you thought, and that's actually what makes it fun to be a follower of Jesus. Some of you are going to experiment with singing for the first time, and your wife is going to look at you and say, please, God. Don't let him sing. Because you're a bad singer. That's okay. My point is that if you will step out in faith, if you will step out with a little courage and begin to try to gain some experimental knowledge of God's presence, you will then be able to have experiential knowledge of God's presence. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, you remember the flavor. You you do. You remember the flavor when you taste and see that God is good. And I love how the psalmist caps that one verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Have you ever considered how the man knows to take refuge in God? Because at some point in his walk, in his faith walk with God, he realized he needed to take a step of faith, a step of courage, a step of action, and put some hope in God as his refuge. You can say, God doesn't speak to me all you want, but the fact of the matter might be that you're just not willing to listen to him. I don't experience God's presence the way people around me do. Well, then what are you doing in his presence if you can't experience it? Maybe you should do what the person beside you is doing. What? Well, yeah, if Jim raises his hands in church, why don't you raise your hands in church? Well, I have many theological reasons for that, Pastor. They're not good ones. Come on, they're not. The Bible says, lift your hands in the congregation. But we have these inhibitions that prevent us from going to that place that God so desperately wants to take us. Because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, liberty will follow. There will always be freedom in the presence of God. And we are fools if we don't walk in that liberty. We read verses like, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we forget that Scripture compels us to consider. So don't make yourself again a slave. 
It's not just enough that the Spirit of God showed up in a jail cell and set Paul and Silas free. You see, that was not the end of the story, was it? The end of the story was the whole household of the jailer being saved. Whatever we're walking through, whatever we're going through, I want to assure you of this, that God is still worthy of your worship. God will always be worthy of your praise, even in the worst moments of your life, even in the most disease-ridden parts of your life, even in the most financially chaotic parts of your life. God will always be worthy of your praise. And if you will remove the inhibition that blocks your heart from stepping into his presence through the act of worship, you will experience the liberty that he has. And when the enemy comes to take that liberty from you the next time, here is a simple thing you get to do. You once again begin to lift up the name of Jesus. You once again begin to praise and begin to worship. Why? Because when you praise and worship, the presence of God comes, and where the presence of the Lord is, there will always be freedom. There's no other way to taste the presence of God than to be in it. I want to invite the worship team to come back. We're going to sing one more song uh, together this morning, and we're going to ask this very, very important question. We always do. Those of you who are joining us online this morning, we're so glad you're with us. And I want you to ask this question at home, wherever you're at this morning, too. Every Sunday, we have this kind of a talk after we've had worship and done the things we do here at church. But maybe the most important question you're going to get to ask today is the one that we're talking about right now. And that is this, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? And I want to challenge you right now, here in the congregation and at home. Would you ask that question? Let's just take 30 seconds. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? One of my favorite promises of God comes out of the Old Testament, he says, you will search for me and you f will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Guys, the, the presence of God brings freedom to your life. And probably your unwillingness to experiment and try something new in his presence is keeping you back from the many good things he has for you. As you think about it this week, those of you who are joining us online, I just want to pray for you, God, that you would bless and enlarge the hearts of all those who are turning to you in this day, Jesus. Holy Spirit, that as our teacher, you would help us and you would embolden us, encourage us to walk into, to walk into a new place with you, Lord a place where we can try, where we can taste, where we can know that as our Heavenly Father, you love us and permit us to learn in your presence. Lord, I just pray a blessing over each household that's tuned in today. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.